Not safe for network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. History of the World Part One came out in 1982. Long running joke, Mel Brooks movie, that there would always be a History of the World Part Two. So I think they end with the teaser with uh what Hitler on ice and Jews in space, where they're riding in a giant star David shaped spaceship. Shooting, this is where the Jewish space some, lasers came from. Yeah, shooting some Muslim <laughs> people. It's also where the space juice thing came from that Chappelle got in trouble for, secondary to everything else that he got in trouble for. He was just quoting like a Mel Brooks thing. I, I was surprised I was the only one that picked up on it. He was in a Mel Brooks movie, so yeah. it wasn't a hard leap for me to make. Mel Brooks is now 94, so I had given up any hope that there was going to be a History of the World Part 2, and I'd heard him say it was just a joke multiple times, so I never put any stock into it. However, it is being made as a show for Hulu, History of the World Part (laughs) 2. It's going to be a direct sequel to the movie. Mel Brooks is the executive producer and a writer, and he's brought in Nick Kroll, Wanda Sykes, Ike Barinholtz, David Stassen, and Kevin Salter to help write this. So it's happening, dude. It sounds like it's going to be a couple episodes on Hulu. What do you think about this? (laughs) This I'm very happy for. I uh, always really liked History of the World Part 1. I think we've talked about... About the history of the world part two, like on Montucky's guys. Probably. Yeah. And so I always wanted it, but I pretty much had written it off at this point. I so thought, seeing that it was greenlit <clears throat> gives me hope. I thought Spaceballs was more of a potential reality than History of the World Part 2. Because Spaceballs, the quest for more money, has been floated by Mel Brooks for a long, long time. And he has seriously been trying to make it. And I think Rick Moranis is the only one that's held it up for years. So that was the one I thought if any of them happened, it would be that. <laughs> but no, the, this is happening. And I'm happy for Mel Brooks, dude. I hear him in interviews still, and he's still funny. Like, he's sharp as oh, hell. Oh, he's definitely funny. It's crazy for being in his 90s how sharp he is. Like, he's never lost his humor. And it's sad listening to him because it's like he would spend all day with Sid Caesar and uh, Carl Reiner, and they would hang out, and then Sid Caesar died. Both of their wives died, so they were the only ones that were really hanging out, you know? And then Carl died. Yeah. Like, a year or two ago so it's just Mel at this point and like I like that he's able to stay busy and do things instead of just like contemplate his mortality you know what I mean like I'm super happy for it but also he's funny as hell like I I can't wait to watch it like I know he's 94 but like his humor is timeless and I do feel like he might have the right set of younger writers around to be like uh no not that gay joke Mel (laughs) No, not that like Jewish joke, Mel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they could they can help him like pluck out maybe this one hasn't aged so well. Cause that is the thing with Mel Brooks, is like it's older comedy and it's still ninety percent gold. There's that ten percent. Yeah. There's just that ten percent where you're like, uh oh. <laughs> this is not age well. And it's just a matter of cutting those ones, so it's fine. He's got people to look over his shoulders, so I'm pretty happy. We we hopefully don't have to have any oh grandpa moments, you know? <laughs> Uh, I especially like that Wanda Sykes is attached to this because I've always been a big fan of Wanda Sykes and I think she's great. And I remember 
feeling really bad for her when she quit Roseanne. She quit because of that crazy rant that Roseanne Barr went off on. A couple days later, she was fired from her own show, so she could have stayed on with the show and not dealt with Roseanne. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe she wanted to leave anyway, but so I'm glad she's finding this because I think this is a this will be a great place for her comedy. Yeah, and you know one thing that always has kind of impressed me about Mel Brooks's comedy is he's always been very inclusive of people of color. He think about like Blazing Saddles. Yeah, all the way back to Blazing Saddles. Yeah, it was him and Richard Pryor, and I can't remember who the other two writers were. But the entire premise of that movie was like, let's write a screenplay of stuff that they would never ever let us put in a movie. And so they just put it together. And then he really liked the screenplay when he looked at it. And so he just lied about everything. They were like, well, you're going to pull out this part, right? And he's like, yeah, of course it's out. You're going to take out the Cowboys Eating Beans. Oh, yeah, it's out. Like, he just said that about everything and then just kept everything in the movie. (laughs) And we're glad for that. Yeah, even though it's super un-PC, I feel like its heart is in the right place, you know? And I think it gets some cred because Richard Pryor helped write it. You know what I mean? Yeah, even like History of the World Part 1, like Gregory Hines had a huge part in that one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know what's funny about Blazing Saddles while we were talking about that? So Richard Pryor, the scenes he wrote the most, like the scenes he was the most obsessed with was Mongo. Like (laughs) he loved writing all of the Bugs Bunny style things with Mongo. So those were all Richard Pryor stuff. I think it's like Richard Karras he's playing him, right? I think so. Like that big ass old football player. Should we move on? Sure. This is a TV show I saw that was being developed that's just too crazy to not talk about. So Jamie Lee Curtis and Ryan Murphy are making a Netflix limited series about the man who invented the high five. Do you know anything about this? Do you know who invented the high five? No. Okay. There's actually a 30 for 30 on this guy. Let me ask you one more question because I didn't get a chance to think about this before I heard it, but I know undoubtedly I would assume that it was older but how old do you think the high five is? Like, if you were to guess what year it was invented, what year would you say? 74. 74. Okay. Man, I would have gone like 40s. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the first recorded high five was in 1977. See, I wasn't far off. There was people who might have gone to Star Wars and not known how to do a high five yet. Like when that movie was over. <laughs> Craziness. Anyway, so it was when Glenn Burke hit a home run for the LA Dodgers. Really interesting thing about him don't end with the high five. He also became the very first Major League Baseball player to come out of the closet, and he was basically forced out of baseball because of it. And so, have you ever heard of the Gay Olympics? No. I had never heard of this, and I was like, for just a split second, I was like, you're making that up, right? No. They started it in San Francisco, and it would move around the world, and they just had athletes who were out of the closet who would go and compete, and this guy then joined it for basketball and track and field and i think won a couple of medals too but like even that was this whole thing because the olympics were licensing out the name olympics for everything over and over again and then they tried to do the gay olympics and they were like nope you can't do that one they like kept telling them no 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 so it wound up being a lawsuit and they had to change it to like the gay games i think or something like that but yeah so he competed in this did really well and then i think he died of aids in 1994 but just a super interesting life but i want to watch this dude that is interesting he invented the high five became the first openly gay baseball player gets forced out goes into a fledgling gay olympics that's like the forrest gump of his time dude (laughs) you know what i mean dies of aids at the end 
like Jenny. Maybe For- Forrest Gump isn't super loved anymore, is it? Not really. I want to watch this. I'm interested in it. By the way, when's the last time you watched Forrest Gump? It's been a grip. Yeah? Uh, how long would you say? Like, take a guess. Definitely over 10 years. What do you think was the reason you watched it? I'm pretty sure it was just on. Yeah, that's kind of where I've been was like, I watched the shit out of it in high school and I've only seen it when it was already on since then. Yeah. <laughs> I have no, I fucked it out in high school anyway. I guess it hasn't aged super well. I really haven't given it the watch to figure that out. I do feel like there's worse movies in the world than Forrest Gump though. For all the people turning on it, I get it. It was charming at the time, right? I still find it charming, like thinking about it. But again, I haven't actually watches to see like if it really has that like shine on it or just like it was a shine for the times i mean you could start out with like tom hanks is pretending to be mentally challenged that's not a good look that's just like your main character right there uh we have a guy who's pretending to not have legs throughout the entire thing and wants to die because he doesn't have legs This is before we even get into, like, the conservative aspect or, like, any of that. It probably hasn't aged well, I'm just going to say. Anyway, totally watch this show. It's going to be the Forrest Gump of gay baseball playing TV shows on Netflix. So uh, Disney has pushed back the openings for many of their films. This is because the pandemic made it tough to complete a bunch of their films. So basically what they did was they took one of their earliest dates and they pushed everything back a date. And then they pulled two things from the schedule which may mean it's canceled or just mean it's so far from being completed they need more time. It's really unknown. A lot of people are just thinking they're like doing away with certain projects, but I'm like, I let's feel wait like it's probably. I feel like the way that they've been handling stuff is that if it's tangentially related and not ready yet, they're probably taking that sort of stuff and put it back in the queue. Yeah. Stuff that really, like, isn't major overarching plot stuff. Yeah, you, like, push it back to phase five. Yeah, or late phase four. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I think this takes us through phase four. (laughs) The phases aren't what they used to be because you got to remember because of the pandemic, everything's all condensed. You know what I mean? So, like, phase four should have started in 2020 and everything got delayed. And so now they're, like, doing that super fast catch up of everything. So, like, you know... By the time this is all up, that'll be three years or so. That's about how long a phase lasts in Marvel. So here's what they got moved. So Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is the first one. It was supposed to be March 25th of 2022. It's moving to May 6th. Yep. So not a big deal. Two months. Who cares? But that is one of the ones I was really, really looking forward to. And that does mean that we're going to have six full months between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. That's fine. We used to be there before, but it feels weird. This feels like the longest stretch we've gone without marvel right now i mean it hasn't even been that long i know but i think it's the longest stretch since wandavision came on i mean we just had shang chi uh-huh like what a month and a half ago yeah so it's been six weeks since we've had anything i think or maybe four weeks probably four weeks since what if ended i don't even know anymore man <laughs> like we got so much marvel stuff but it's not even like it's been that long but i think this is the longest stretch since it actually started phase four that we've been without marvel content right now which is crazy. 
Yeah, and we're talking like three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jonesing, man. <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder was supposed to be May 6th. Obviously, Doctor Strange is there, so they moved it back to 7-8-22. So Black Panther, Wakanda Forever was supposed to be that date. So they moved it back to November 11th. The Marvels was supposed to be on November 11th, so they moved that back to February 17th. And Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, moved from March 17th to July 28th of 2023. So that's kind of a big one. That's like five months back. So as I said, there was two Marvel movies that were removed from the schedule, and a third moved closer a week. People are speculating that that's Blade. That's all speculation, but we do know that Blade is casting, which leads me to believe it probably is the undisclosed one that's going. If you're at the cast point, you have to know your dates that you're setting for your actors, right? Because they tend to be in demand, especially the ones they're grabbing for Marvel movies. And then on top of that, Indiana Jones 5 moved to June 30th, 2023. So that got moved back almost a year. I guess, bummer. I don't know. Where do you feel on Indiana Jones 5? Do you care? Not really. I feel like I don't care, but then I think about like James Mangold and a lot of his movies, and it's like, I do feel like it'll probably be good. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm holding out some hope, but I'm not going to be dash against the rocks because the odds that it's great are very small. It's but like, like it's, it's I have the, I, I want it to be entertaining. And if it's entertaining, then I'm happy and I have a low bar for entertaining. <laughs> see, Indiana Jones for me is like eating a bag of pistachios where most of them are good and then you get that one that's just like oh yeah just like all ugh. woody and i gross. hate this kingdom of the crystal skull pistachio <laughs> and you're like oh i don't really want to get back in the bag <laughs> like it, it was that that bad of a pistachio you're like oh i don't know if i can go on that's a really good metaphor it doesn't track for me but i see where you're at that's a perfect metaphor dude. <laughs> that makes sense to me so are you not even planning and I'm going to watch it. I didn't say that. Right. Like, I still have that bag of pistachios. You know what's also funny? Like, 10 years of podcasting, (laughs) it's like anything like this. Sometimes I just get angry when I know it's going to be bad because I know I'm going to go to talk about it on a podcast. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, God damn it, dude. Here's my money, but fuck you. Within hours of the announcement that all of the Disney stuff was being pushed back, Paramount claimed Doctor Strange's old date of March 25th for The Lost City. It's about a romance novelist played by Sandra Bullock, who's in some sort of adventure in the jungle with the cover model of her books played by Channing Tatum. This sounds almost like romancing I was going to say, that sounds almost exactly to the mm, plot line of... Almost, right? Like, Michael Douglas is doing what Michael Douglas does, which is, like, play a scuzzy, and he's just a scuzzy person who knows the jungle and so he's able to get up there right like he flew pot through there and then he was like smuggling birds and that's how he's getting by right instead this is like Channing Tatum playing a model which probably means he's kind of dumb right yeah he plays dumb well he does dude because you look at him and you're like ah he's so adorable and big probably kind of dumb but I just want to like give him a hug Now we're going to go to comic book corner because I know you missed out on all the comic book announcements for DC, but I'm going to lead it off by a new thing. And then you can launch into whatever you want to talk about by saying, I saw a headline today that made me happy and we're not going to talk about what the headline is indicating. I just love the headline. So I'll give credit to Polygon. They're the ones that came up with this. Hulk and best 
whole comic in years by having Hulk yell at God. <laughs> I don't know what that's referring to. I didn't even want to read the article after reading that. I just like copied and pasted that because I was like, that's a perfect headline. That's a great headline. You want me to repeat it one more time, but more dramatically? Hulk and best Hulk comic in years by having Hulk yell at God. Puny God. Putney God. Yeah, that's not in the headline, but... Okay, so what did you want to talk about with all the DC shit? I uh, know you were, like, angling at least to talk about The Flash, right? I realized that you covered it last week. I th- There isn't really much there to talk about, I don't think. There is if you haven't been paying attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think if you're an average fan, not like us, like, not going on the boards looking for shit to talk about week after week, if you're just the average fan, I don't think you know about this shit and it's very exciting but if you're like us we've known that michael keaton was gonna be in this movie for how fucking long like two years now it's been a while it's been a while we've heard that ben affleck was gonna be in it for a while yeah i mean for me there wasn't anything that super wowed me but i also understand that trailer's not for me not really see the only thing that like i liked i was like seeing proof that it's moving forward because i have seen so much rumors for so long now that it's like when more stuff comes out, more stuff comes out. But it was all just type stuff that was like, well, there's this press release, but yeah, we're not seeing anything that's saying 2022, here's part of the Batman movie, Flash movie that's coming out. So to give everybody an idea... So we started talking about the Flashpoint movie and Montucky Skies. We started talking about it back then, okay? Yeah. Then it be- the show became pop culture consumption for almost a year after that. Then we dropped it all together and we went to box office battle and we did somewhere around 100 episodes of box office battle since then. Yeah. And now fucking we're like we get a teaser trailer. We are we are what? 25 26 episodes into another news show that's kind of like Montucky Skies and pop culture consumption. The Flash has been rewritten and kicked back and reworked for at least four years now. Like, we've been podcasting. We've been through so many fucking shows. Like, you want to talk about me just podcasting, like, and adding to that? I did, in that period of time, I did an entire season of fucking a Star Wars podcast on top of everything else that we're talking about. I did A Thousand Ways to Please Your Husband. Like, an entire season of that. I've done almost 40 episodes of A Cosmic Void since then. Like, we've started that and had it be the most popular show on the network. Like, all of this shit has happened since that they fucking announced Flashpoint. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still not 100% sure it's happening. I know they got enough for a trailer. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, we've been talking about this so long and, like, actually seeing a celluloid of something that's going to come out. Actually, like, I mean, it gave me, like, this much hope. Dude, Ezra Miller was, like, super beloved and then, like, basically got in a scandal and everybody was like, fuck Ezra Miller. And then they were talking about replacing Ezra Miller. And then more time passed and we went in a pandemic and then 2020 lasted for 10 years. And then somewhere in that, we've got the Zack Snyder Justice League that was four hours long 
where he had a slightly better part. And so people just kind of forgot about the scandal. All of that shit happened since they announced Flashpoint. <laughs> That's a lot, dude. <laughs> just to cap it off one more time. My kid had just started third grade, right? Like my kid's in sixth grade now. <laughs> my kid's yeah. at an entirely different school, has a locker now, like <laughs> is with middle schoolers. Everything has changed since then. We had a different president. Yeah. The government almost got toppled. I had a different car. All right. We're getting weak here. <laughs> Cats and dogs living together. All right. So are there any other comic book stuff you want to talk about? Got your flash thing out? No, that was What did you much. think of the Batman? There was more to that trailer, but that didn't really get me excited for the Batman. I mean, I'm going to watch it. It looks like all the other Batman stuff. It does. Yeah, it's not just me, right? But, like, that was my reaction. I said see, that, and, and then it, I've it, been listening to podcasts all day, because I also listen to nerdy podcasts that do the same thing we do. They all had the same observation. Like, it looks it, good, it, but it, it looks like every other Batman movie. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it tonally looks like Chris Nolan's Batman. Yep. But, I mean, it's just got some better crashes. <laughs> Like they're using some practical effects as far as running into shit. It's, but I like there was nothing there that I hadn't seen before that was like, ooh, I wonder what they're doing with this. Like, oh, Batman's getting shot and he's okay. I've never seen that before. What? Never been shot? Batman's been shot lots. Like every movie. <laughs> he's been wearing a bulletproof suit for every movie. They still can't fucking figure to like aim for his throat or chin still. Dude, a throat <laughs> shot would fuck Batman up. Very bad. Dude, just anywhere where there's skin. <laughs> like eye holes, mouth hole. He's fucking dead. That's all. All that she wrote if you do that, but whatever. When Batman dies, you're culpable for his death. <laughs> you gave him the, the formula to defeat Batman. <laughs> As if it wasn't super easy already. <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, people shooting at Captain America. They aim for the big round shield, not the face or head that's above it, or just take out his knees or anything below the shield. Uh, Frank Miller actually had a good little piece of that. So this is back when they would draw Batman still in tights. You know, like I feel like the whole armored thing happened with Tim Burton's movie. That was when they got the idea of like, oh, he's wearing armor. And then the comics started to follow suit after that. But before that, Frank Miller had this one and somebody was talking about how he had this yellow symbol basically that just stood out in the dark. And why would you do that? And he said, because it's bulletproof and I was giving him a target to aim at. Right? Like that's smart. You're aiming at the bulletproof target, you know, instead of like the obvious like face or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much ends Comic Corner. I was going to talk about the new Hitmonkey trailer. But I don't know what to say about it, except for it still looks crazy and still looks funny. Like, there's a little more Jason Sudeikis making jokes with Hitmonkey, and it appears that he can't even dissipate away. He's just constantly hanging out with him. Hitmonkey's on a train, and he's just, like, flying behind him because he's, like, tethered to him, basically. So we're going to get a lot of Jason Sudeikis in this Mm. show, it looks like. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I can always use a little Sudeikis for sure. I could ask you, did you ever get in the uh, Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso. I want to at some point. I just haven't got around to it because my wife does stuff like orders some kind of spectrum thing that just costed me $20 that I'm not super thrilled about. So, <laughs> yeah, and I don't have Apple Plus either. I was just 
curious if you had gone down that route. I haven't paid for it yet, but I will at some point. Like that'll happen at some point. I'm just waiting for one other show that I want to watch on on Apple TV. And so far, that's the only thing that's piqued my interest. So there was one other one I and I can't remember. It was eh, not important. Yeah, on. fair. Have you watched Halloween Kills? No. Okay. I have not seen the Halloween Kills or the last Halloween movie. Are you not into Halloween movies? I am. My wife, not so much. Really? Yeah. Well, she must love Halloween 3 season of The Witch then, right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> kind of, yeah. I remember getting a lot of grief for that. <laughs> just because it's fun. I love it just because it's fun to make fun of. Yeah, it's super wild. <laughs> and uh, I just watched a clip of John Carpenter defending that plot. Again, dude. He helped come up with the story. And he handpicked the director and produced it and stuff. Like, it was the only Halloween movie that he produced that wasn't the first one. So, he actually believes in it. But they asked him if he thought that Halloween 3 Season of the Witch would ever get made again. Like, rebooted in some fashion. He goes, yeah, I think actually audiences would be ready for that if they didn't connect it to Michael Myers. And so, I was like, yeah, I actually kind of agree with that. Because the idea of, like, witches and robots, I think there's something there that's like interesting it's just so batshit crazy it's fun dude yeah if you take the halloween name off of it like it's a fun horror movie yeah i now love that it's halloween 3 because it makes a certain subset of fans so angry (laughs) so like irrationally angry that it makes me laugh like Because they'll be like, what's your favorite Halloween movie? And I'll be like, Halloween 3. And it's just like, they get mad every fucking time. Even if they like Halloween 3, they're like, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. So I I have a running joke, like, because uh, my youngest and I watched uh, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And they sat down and they're like, because I had started it and he, they sat down next to, what are we watching? I'm like, Halloween movie. <laughs> and they sat down and watched it like, you son of a bitch. There's no Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> it's Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> And then you gave them a a silver shamrock mask. (laughs) (laughs) Or just, you know, for the next month, every couple of days, it'll be like 16 days till Halloween. (laughs) 16 days till Halloween, 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 16 days till Halloween, silver shamrock. You know, that's just London Bridge is falling down. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. So it is appropriate that we're talking about Halloween 3 because, yes, I did see John Carpenter talk about it at a fucking press junket for Halloween Kills, which he did the soundtrack for, and overlooked the script a little bit, like talked with him a little bit about certain things, as he did with the first one. But the reason it was brought up was because there's an Easter egg in it, which apparently was visible in the trailers, which I didn't pay attention to, but they had those costumes that Silver Shamrock had. They were in the commercial, so it was just a little Easter egg they put in. They had people running around with the pumpkin head and the witch head and whatever the third one was. I don't remember now. Yeah, they had those three. So I just thought that was kind of fun that they had a little a little silver shamrock drop. The best news I saw come out was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis showed up to the premiere dressed as Janet Lee in Psycho. Yeah, that's right. Which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. For I, uh, people not in the know, that was her mom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people actually don't know who are younger. But yeah, the lady who gets killed in the shower in Psycho was Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, which is partly why they casted her in Halloween. She had never done a movie before. She'd done a couple of TV shows, but never done a movie. And they thought she'd be good in the part, but more importantly, 
certainly it was stunt casting because Halloween was this little tiny no budget movie and it they thought it might be able to get them a couple of stories across the news and man did it ever Halloween like spun out more times its original budget than any movie in history like period it did something like 300 times its budget or something like that like it was so cheap it was so cheap and they had this is true they had uh freddy krueger sweeping up leaves into a garbage bag and then like dumping them into other parts because they weren't filming during fall so they had all these like old leaves that they would have to move from scene to scene and yeah robert england was the dude who was like sweeping them up so apparently he was taking notes and just like i'm gonna rip off this franchise eventually As everybody else in Hollywood did. Anyway, so Halloween Kills. Basically, I went to watch it the first time. It's on Peacock. It's also in the movie theaters. Did pretty well in the movie theaters. But I watched it because it was on Peacock and I was sick this weekend. And so I pretty much stayed home. I had to call off of work and shit. So it was like, I think it came out on Friday. Started to watch it with my wife and I just fell asleep like five times. And like that kind of sleep where you suddenly wake up because you snored so loud you woke yourself up. Like that kind of snore. And so I just had no idea what was going on. But later I was like, how was it? She's like, it was really bad. I didn't like it. And I was like, okay. And then so today I rewatched it just because I was like, I got to take it from the beginning. I don't know how much of this I slept through. I thought it was good. I will say I totally understand why Amanda did not like it. And she didn't like it because it was predictable. And so when you know a kill's coming, it's not very scary most of the time, right? And so you don't get in that rhythm of getting scared. I don't get scared at horror movies typically. So that doesn't matter to me as much. There was like social commentary running through it about mob mentality and how corrosive it is. And I thought they did a really good job with that I, I won't get into specific details but the mob is basically run by anthony michael hall have you seen him lately all right uh, brandon d- define lately i need you to look up a picture of anthony michael hall right now and then i want you to describe to the older listeners because the younger ones aren't going to care about this but this is the teenager from weird science this is the teenager from 16 candles this is the teenager who was on saturday night live and like probably the worst season which also had Robert Downey Jr. and like the star-studded cast that just did not work for SNL. So are you seeing his picture now? Yeah. Look at him in Halloween Kills, specifically. So what you thinking there? Describe Anthony Michael Hall to to me now. So he's got a lot of extra, I don't know if it's face muscle or face fat, but not like... I think it's both. Yeah, but just like something you see in older people tend to get like... Certain older people. Yeah. Like the ones who hang out in the bars and scrap a lot or go to the gym and still have beer regularly, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely it. And then like he's probably pretty much bald because he just has it shaved down to nothing. Yeah. Be honest, if you didn't know that was Anthony Michael Hall, would you ever recognize him? Because I watched an entire movie with him and realized not only did I not know that was Anthony Michael Hall... I've been seeing him in shit for about five years and did not know it was him. See, I have I have known it was him and I've been, you know, seeing the stuff he's been in the last five years. So you've been years. following it. So I it's hard it's hard to really tell like if like I hadn't seen all that stuff leading up and just like here's Anthony Michael Hall now. Like it's who's crazy this guy for like me. He is go he's gone from like age eighteen to like fifty. Like for me. You know what I mean? Like I d- did not notice the in between years. I guess he was in some stuff I'd seen. I just never put 
put together it was him because he looks so radically different from what he was when he was a teenager. And he did fall out of favor for a long time, right? Yeah. See, like, I think he was pretty regular until, like, uh, Edward Scissorhands, I think, was the last. That's right. He was in that. I yeah, he plays the asshole boyfriend. High school, man. It's been a long, long time. So that was, like, the early 90s. Yeah. So, and that was his last teenager role. And I've seen him in a bunch of stuff afterwards. I think when he went from like um, Edward Scissorhands, and I don't know what, uh, I'm too lazy to look up his yeah, we don't need to. Database, I just, but like it was a he did to he me. did have a, like five ten years, and then he like drastically changed his look. Like he grew out of like the weird science. Geeky boy. Yeah, because he was real thin, wispy, curly, red hair, and just like the braces and stuff, freckles. And like there's no freckles and fucking shorn head. And he's like beefy and muscular with a paunch. And yeah, he's like, like, he looks like he's taken some punches. He's to the like face. a Negan type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. You could see him in like a motorcycle gang or something now. It's just, it's nuts to me, man. Anyway, that was just one of the things that I, I thought was kind of crazy. Um, I'm going to basically say if you care about the social commentary of the story of Halloween Kills, I think it's pretty good. But if you're watching it to be scared, don't. It's not worth it. So yeah. I'll pretty much leave it there. They've got kind of a nice story that's supposed to be wrapped up in a third one here that Carpenter's also going to be overseeing. So I look forward to that one as well. And that's supposed to come out next year because pandemic fucked everything up, you know. Fuck COVID. Yeah, I think they did the Back to the Future 2 and 3 thing or Avengers Infinity War Endgame thing where they like filmed them all at once, you know. Yeah. So... I kind of wanted to stay on the, the Halloween track. Over the weekend and last night, I've been watching the uh, the Fear Street series okay. of movies on Netflix. So there's three movies. There's Fear Street 96, Fear Street 78, and Fear Street an 1666. Right? Oh, six, okay. So like it was kind of interesting looking at it. So the first movie is the 1996, which kind of went on the uh, – the scream right movies is kind of it's kind of the era of like I know what you did last summer right yeah where it's but like it, girls it, with breast implants probably yeah like I know I know that these movies invest in all the tropes of, of when they're supposed to do like it right. every trope you can think of in horror movies like I have seen so far in this series yeah and I've kind of gotten to the point with horror movies where I either watch them for a podcast or I watch them because my wife wants to watch them and I really don't watch any in between anymore and she for whatever reason does not want to watch the Fear Street movies she thinks they look dumb but I've heard a lot of they kind of look dumb but I I was intrigued by them but I just hadn't got around to it and I'm like fuck it I'm gonna watch it like I finished Squid Game and I'm like damn I need something else to watch on Netflix now so I started watching the Fear Street movies they're not good but they're <laughs> they're fun they're definitely watchable and it's kind of an interesting like they're taking everything in the horror universe and just kind of mashing it and playing with it that's probably the most interesting also the uh the music pretty banging okay uh, there was the only other thing like i uh i also watched cruella <laughs> the movie was awful <laughs> of course it was the soundtrack i would go buy that cd all right whatever dude <laughs> listen to some weird stuff <laughs> no like they had like the clash and like uh, they had some quality music on there all right <laughs> fuck you <laughs> 
Well, I'm also going to do a quick review, but it's probably not going to be quite as quick. Uh, so I watched The Last Duel last night. So I literally had this moment. I got in a fight with my wife and only married people know this type of fight. It's the type of fight that no matter what you do will not get resolved for anywhere from like one month to two years. It's just one of those things that's going to occasionally surface and cause a fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're married. I think every married people, you have something like this. Every married couple does, right? So that topic came up last night and I just quit smoking cigarettes. I could not stand being in the house. I was so mad. And it was also because I knew I couldn't resolve it right then, right? So I went for a walk because that usually makes me feel better. Usually couple a walk with cigarettes. And I was like, I cannot go buy cigarettes. And I wanted to so bad. And then I remembered I got all these free movie passes in my my wallet. So I just stormed down to Cinemark and I went to The Last Duel. I just looked for anything playing right then that I hadn't seen. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that a while ago. I should go check that out. And the first thing I want to say is it's too bad that the rest of America and the world did not check this out because it was made for $100 million and it only made $5 million in the opening weekend worldwide, dude. Like nobody wanted anything to do with it. And I know it's like pandemic numbers, but like Halloween Kills did 50 million and it's fucking streaming on Peacock. This is not streaming anywhere and it's like 5 million. And it's good. It's actually good. And it just like, it kind of made me sad coming back and hearing that because it felt like I found a gem last night and I realized like, oh, that's because I did find a gem because nobody else is going to see this fucking movie unless it wins some Oscars. So it is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck reuniting for this movie and it takes place in medieval France and Matt Damon is playing this knight who's kind of down on his luck and says the wrong thing and he goes into all these battles for his lord to make money and he's getting fucked over constantly by his friend slash squire Adam Driver who not only like elevates his station below their lord over him but then winds up taking his property through various things and on and on and on until finally Adam Driver his character rapes his wife. This is based off of a true story. It was the last sanctioned duel in France, and so they had a duel to the death. And it's written in a really interesting way. This was Ben Affleck and Matt Damon writing the script together. Ben Affleck is not a main character in this. It's a three-hander. It's like Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and uh, something Comey. Comey something. Anyway, it's this new woman who's been in a couple of things, but she is, like, fantastic in this movie. And uh, anyway, they, they wrote this script together. First part of it is written from Matt Damon's character's perspective, okay? Then they go through Adam Driver's character's perspective, and you see some things you didn't see, and then you see some scenes that play out that are the same, but they're subtly different. Sometimes they're giving you more information, but sometimes they're just filtering it a little bit different, right? And then you see it from Matt Damon's wife's point of view, which, like, it says, like, the truth according to, like, the character. Like, it says that for each chapter. And chapter three, it's, like, the truth according to... They drop it out, and it just says the truth. Her story is actually the true one. And you find out they're both fucking dickheads. She totally gets raped by Adam Driver's character. And then after they, like play out her story they do a battle to the death and if matt damon loses not only does he lose his life but then she will get slayed for lying because like it's like an act against god and she's pregnant with their kid
good. So it's just like, Jesus Christ, dude, the stakes are fucking huge. And you can't exactly root for Matt Damon's character after you see everything because these two people are horrible. But the dramatic tension is really good and it's shot well. I mean, like it's Ridley Scott, but here's the thing. There are battle scenes in this that are so good, but the end battle scene between Adam Driver and Matt Damon, it is the best action scene I've ever seen Ridley Scott film. Like it is fucking amazing. And keep in mind, this is the guy who did Alien. This is the guy who did Gladiator, which like not super big on Gladiator, but the battle scenes are amazing in Gladiator, right? Like Children of Men, all this shit. Like this is the best battle scene he has ever filmed. It's amazing, dude. It starts out on these horses and they're like doing the lances at each other and they break like lance after lance trying to kill each other. And then eventually they wind up against a wall. Then they're fucking off of their horses and they're like trying to kill each other like with axes and shit in the mud. And then they're like on the ground and pinned by horses and shit. It's fucking amazing. Every step of it is one of the best action sequences I've ever seen. Just for that scene alone, I would watch it. But it's also a very good drama. It's very interesting the way that it's carved into like three stories. So I would definitely check out that one. I would be shocked if it doesn't wind up for an Oscar nom or two. It might not because it's bombing and it's coming out a little bit ahead of Oscar season. Yeah. But I wouldn't rule it out. I think there's definitely possibility for a screenplay nod on this. So we'll see. And it would be fun to see Ben Affleck and Matt Damon come. By the way, like they are fucking bringing it in this movie. Like Matt Damon is just being as unlikable as possible in this role. And he's got like just the worst shorn mullet that he's wearing. And then Ben Affleck has super short hair with like this crazy ass goatee. And they're just like fucking bright ass blonde. It throws you off for a second because do you remember Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when Ben Affleck is playing himself in Goodwill Hunting too? Like he's playing yeah. that character where he's like, oh, I don't know. Like he's almost doing that thing with this character. I know that sounds crazy, but it fucking works for this movie. Like it takes about 10 seconds to adjust to what the fuck he's doing. And then you're just like, yes, I'm in on this. Like it's <laughs> it's good, man. It's a good adult drama. And it's got amazing battles sequences that are fucking bloody as shit like it's a great movie and it irritates me that's only made five million off of a hundred million dollar budget like this is the kind of movie that's gonna go away because people don't support it and like i'm telling you this is gonna be so many people's favorite movie when it comes out on video and they're just gonna have no idea right now and it's a bummer dude it's a real bummer because it's probably not gonna be in theaters next week you know yeah how things have changed in the last couple of years with the rise of streaming service the release to video isn't the thing it used to be no it's very quick and sometimes it's no but it's i at mean the same like time now as far as usually if a movie doesn't hit with theater audience it has that release on video where people will pay five ten twenty dollars where Walmart, it can make money where it can it, make yeah. money on it but that's really gone away well what it is now so there's a collector's market so when you're talking about when it gets released on 4k or some of the blu-rays like you do have some people that snap those up that's not a huge thing but it definitely is a profit margin then you're talking on demand which is a bigger profit margin for them because you got guys that are paying like 10 to 30 bucks 
Netflix to watch it, you know, like now. But where they make the majority of the money now is just a general thing where they're in a library for whatever company they made it for and it's thrown out to the streaming services, right? So like they make money off of that, but it's usually in a package deal. It's not based off of downloads most of the time. Yeah. Like HBO, for example, gets all the Time Warner catalog because they own Time Warner. They have their own library, right? So like they can pull out anything they want out of there and they're not paying shit for it. Now they might have to pay some kind of royalties to the people that made it, but like they're not paying this independent company for it. But when you have somebody like Sony who does not have a streaming service, they're like taking portions of their catalog and just spinning it out to Netflix, spinning it out to Amazon, spinning it out to like HBO Max, like just wherever like we have this like 300 movies, right? Like it's it's all in a package. We know there's like these six that you really want and there's like 294 you don't want like cable. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so you pay for all of this. So everybody just gets a chunk off of that. Yeah, it's just changed the way the game operates. There's still money afterwards. You can still make money off of your old library for sure. It's just done differently than it was, you know. And I just haven't seen numbers to think like, is the streaming service make what like home video used to make? I don't know the numbers. I don't know how to stack I, it up. Like, but I, I know that the on-demand numbers are I, uh, higher like, than they've ever been. Oh, they're definitely higher than they've ever been. But I just don't know if, like, there's enough people paying for streaming. And I'm sure there's lawyers that know all that that information. Yeah. and we're never going to find that out. To, no. be, to be fair, we're never really going to find out the exact numbers on that because there's people hiding those numbers and not wanting them to go public. Yeah. I mean, that's the short of it. But there's a reason why you can still still walk into a Target or a Walmart or fucking whatever and still see Blu-rays and 4K everywhere and walk in a pawn shop and see them everywhere. Like, they're still selling movies at, at places, too. Not like they were, but let's be honest, man. The late 80s through the 90s and early 2000s, that was a fucking weird period for movies where you could just walk in and buy movies and, it, like, everybody was buying movies. That's, like, the only period in history where that was a commonplace thing. So, like, we're used to it because that was our prime right like yeah. growing up it was just like at a certain point in 89 when that batman fucking video cassette went to 1999 we got conditioned to buying video cassettes and then we got conditioned to buying dvds and then we got conditioned to buying blu-rays but like that blu-ray thing was kind of the tail off of it and it's just a very fucking niche thing now yeah and this is actually probably what it should be i mean i hate that but it also means that the discs you get are better because like you can get it on streaming i disagree dude so when dvds first came out you could get the ones that were fucking awesome but then you get the ones that are just the movie and you're like what the fuck and that happened all the time because they wanted to release a special edition bullshit thing right and then like blu-ray they got better but sometimes they would like offset the cost by like trying to get the lower stuff what i've noticed now is like it's such a niche market that if they don't put some special features on it people aren't gonna fucking buy it because it's just collectors getting it at this point so and why would you buy it i, I was in just... big lots over the weekend and they have a little display and before we go further i need to know what format we're talking blu-ray okay blu-ray is in an interesting spot we're talking like half casual and half collector right like i'm the collector part of blu-ray because i'm trying to get my blu-rays back up but i'd say like where it's full-on collector is 4k 4K fans are not fucking around, dude. Like, 4K, yeah. they're paying a lot for that disc. They fucking want everything on it, you know? Yeah. But anyway, continue. So, if, if you see DVD, that's bullshit. That's, some, that's like a grandmother who's not paying attention and buying something for their kid to put on. You know what I mean? 
man. Yeah. I mean, they had DVDs there and I, I, I like flipping through the DVDs cause it's usually a lot of like the mockbuster sort of movies and just like weird random shit. And I just kind of like looking through those. So like they had Captain Marvel and Black Panther on Blu-ray and they were like $5. And I was like, uh, but then I looked at it and they were previously viewed movies. So they like came out of a red box or. Gotcha. So they're just, but they, but they had, but they had like the regular Blu-ray covers on them, but they were previously viewed video. Right. They just stashed the covers somewhere and then used them again. Yeah. I've bought red box movies before and, and there was this weird time in like late 2000s, early teens where they had a couple of different versions. Like they would have the. I know what you're saying. The version. They that, would have the version that had some special features and then have the version that had no features. Right. right. Yeah. Like I saw the big sticker on the front that said previously viewed. And I'm like, I oh, will put that right back. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, A, like I want to have the whole thing. But then like the other part of me is like, you know, you can just go home and turn on Disney Plus and watch this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you want the extra shit. Like that's kind of where it's at now unless you're looking at that dvd bin dvd bin is it's it's thoughtless purchase it's just like some movie that nobody would ever fucking watch or some movie that everybody watches so much there's no reason to buy it so it's super cheap yeah and there's almost never any real special features the special feature is it's a fucking double disc with some movie you're never gonna want to watch right right (laughs) every once in a while we play this game where we're going through walmart and they have the five dollar and we just like reach down like as far as you can you can't look and we're going home and watching whatever you pull out of the bottom that's a fun game that i've never done (laughs) what's a time give me an example of something that came up just any movie the stand the miniseries oh jesus so that's why you watch it we fucking talked about that on pop culture consumption that was a while ago man yeah i mean that's just an example that i thought of off the top of my head that we did that with Got Carl joining us now. Finally. (laughs) It's been (laughs) a couple of weeks. Yeah. New uh, work schedules got me all up early in the morning and asleep. I wanted to talk about Why the Last Man a little bit. So talked about how it was canceled last week and some reasons I thought it might have been canceled. It turns out the main reason it was canceled is that they retained their primary cast for years while retooling. So the actress's costs went up because of how long it had gone. And so they essentially would have been making what you're supposed to be making from the Screen Actors Guild after three years, which is a jump. So it just became too expensive to keep. And then the ratings dropped halfway through the season as well. So, which I think you were talking about, not on mic, about how the last couple of episodes dipped a bit in the middle of the season, right? The plot basically stopped moving forward and they it got really bogged down. There's a lot of different things happening all at once. And they're kind of giving equal time to all of those things. Three episodes will go by and all three of those episodes essentially took place in the same time period. It was actually one of the things that happened to me with the show Umbrella Academy, uh, which I'm now remembering there were a couple of episodes like that. Um, There's also, I think, in the first season of Misfits, because one character could run through time, they did like two or three episodes that basically all took place in the same period of time. And you learned a lot about the characters. So on some levels, it was interesting, but also like, 
at the end of the day, nothing got accomplished and everything was actually set back. I've tried to rewatch Misfits and it, I struggle with it because it doesn't move forward like normally what I'm used to, I suppose. Yeah. So do you think this will be able to be picked up by somebody or do you think it's essentially dead in the water? I know that they're trying to shop it around. Well, if it's too expensive for them to keep it going, wouldn't that make it too expensive for anybody else to buy? Like just, it would have to be really- just depends on whether they're willing to spend the money. I right? think it would have if it was better. And uh, that's really not to take away from any of the performances. Like some of the basically everybody on the show is giving it their all. Diane Lane doing... was really good on that show, too. Like yeah. I, I, I can remember that in particular because she's the actress that I knew from it, you know. But also, I mean, there are some elements of it that are frustrating. And I can see I can see them just not wanting to go back to it after all this setback and frustration. And it is kind of proving to be difficult to do as a TV show. Sometimes just because something works on the comic book page doesn't mean that it's going to translate well. And I think people get that mixed up a lot of the time because they keep talking about how influential the comic is and how it should be a slam dunk. And it's like, well, that doesn't necessarily make a slam dunk, you know? Like, <clears throat> you have to change a lot of things sometimes to get it to work or the things that you have to change make it not work or they try and be too faithful and it just doesn't work on a screen. So, right. yeah, there's just all kinds of weird things that happen with an adaptation. I mean, even just things like... Uh... A splash page in a comic book is a difficult thing to depict in a movie. Yeah. Because a splash page is something that you can kind of just sit on for as long as you want. Yep. And admire all the details of it. And it may be a absolutely ridiculous thing that's happening. It's usually a bunch of characters all jumping towards each other. Yeah, that's like a, about your, to fight. Your quintessential Marvel splash page, right, is either it's one of two things. It's either all of them lined up to fight or it's all of them in the middle of a battle. Like mid-jump. They're all kind of in different spots. They're saying things. And the, the thing is, is like you can put words on a page and those words are sitting with a single moment in time, but they're all fully stated paragraphs sometimes. One person saying something, another person saying something back, but they're frozen in time. And that is something you cannot do with a movie unless you literally freeze your characters in time, have them say their things to each other, and then you've got anime, I guess. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Age of Ultron does it at one point towards the end in that climactic battle at the church or when wherever When they're all it kind is. of in a circle. Yeah, and they outward. do the thing where they're like, they slow down the camera and they're going somewhat slow motion and just sort of showing where everybody's at in the well, geography. Well, and also at the beginning of Age of Ultron, when they're all leaping forward yes and it's in slow motion and that's like right before it goes to the title card i think when when the mcu really really successfully pulled it off i think the best that we've seen of a version of a splash page on the screen was an end game right before they fight thanos when As they all just the rings are opening yes and everyone's stepping or flying out yeah and we just see everybody lined up and it's like building the excitement because but that's such a specific circumstance you can't repeat that all of the time because it's 
it's also the reintroduction of all these characters. So you're excited just to see all of these characters anyway. So they're able to get away with that like slow pan to like show everybody. I feel like that was the most successful splash another, page in a movie. Another type of splash page would will be like the introduction of a new character, whether it be villain or hero, where they take up the whole page. And it's not usually a two-page splash. It's usually just like a full page, no frames, where it's like the character standing there and like whatever tendrils of their cloak or whatever, and they're saying something <laughs> spooky or menacing or cool or it's whatever. It's almost always a super small and, word, word bubble too, right? It's like almost like a one word thing. Like I'm imagining- The giant character. I haven't seen it, but I'm imagining in Venom Let There Be Carnage, there was probably a moment where Carnage was filled the entire screen and it was just all just him in all his glory. And he was saying, I'm assuming Let There Be Carnage. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's got to be a point. Why would they Why would they name it Let There Be Carnage if Carnage didn't say yeah, Let There Be Carnage? I in think it they point? said it at some point, but it's hard because that Cletus Cassidy character that they make for the screen just speaks absolute nonsense 95% of the so time. So it's like if Boomhauer from... Uh, a little bit, yeah. Like what if he is like a... <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, tell you then, man, let there be carnage, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a shit show Ooh, that one was. I like that idea, though. What's that? Crossover of King of the Hill. and <laughs> <laughs> When Sony starts to get really desperate when that Marvel tie-in <laughs> like dries up. <laughs> Mike Judge Cinematic Universe clashes with the Spum Universe. <laughs> I guess Mike Judge does have somewhat of a universe in that Daria is in Beavis and Butthead and has her own show. And King of the Hill is kind of a spinoff of the neighbor it does feel like that doesn't it like it's definitely the exact same voice which is also the same voice he does for the the guy at a themed restaurant in office space right like the manager is just like do you always want to do the bare minimum okay so if daria we're gonna have to get kat dennings to play more than one character (laughs) (laughs) she's kind of the perfect fucking daria or aubrey plaza could finally join i gotta say aubrey plaza now that you say is actually the perfect daria Kind of the perfect Daria. Because she already is Daria in the way that she is mannered. I just, maybe it's, there's, we'd have too many of like the same looking girl in the MCU because <laughs> it's easy to mix up Aubrey Plaza, Kat Dennings, and uh, who's Jane Foster? Uh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, Natalie Portman. At, at first glance, you could mistake any of them for any one of the other. Sure. Yeah, if you do it right. And I will say Evangeline, Let's is... hope Evangeline Lilly never grows her hair out. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the only way I can keep her separated is she's got a short <laughs> bob haircut. You do have facial blindness sometimes with these movies, <laughs> dude. <laughs> so let's talk about Batwoman a little bit since we're Which on the Batwoman? comic book tip. Uh, Ruby Rose. Okay. The, the CW thing. So she came out and Wait, finally. First justify to me why anything CW related is worth our attention. Nah, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not. Burn on CW. (laughs) So uh, Ruby Rose had complained about some neck injuries publicly, not really saying why she quit Batwoman years ago, but that had come out. She had tweeted that and showed 
like the scar in her neck and stuff that she had gotten on the set and quit somewhat after that. So she finally came out and said that she got that injury while she was working on Batwoman and that Doug Ray Scott, who was one of the actors, was unprofessional, screaming at people on the set and injured several people. A PA was paralyzed on the show and another cast member got third degree burns. She also said the president of television for Warner's Peter Roth was sexually harassing cast members. He was having female cast members steam his pants while he was wearing them, which I don't know why you would do that. That just seems unpleasant, but it also it feels seems like a even power more, move. Yeah, it seems even more unpleasant for the females. And she had also complained about that actor to Roth and he ignored it. Like she had sent out a memo like, let's have no screaming on set unless it's dialogue. And he just completely ignored it. He has stepped down from Warner since then because of sexual harassment allegations. There was a lot going on for why she quit. I feel like we covered the sexual allegations when we were kind of doing this show on like pop culture consumption just in other arenas with that guy but i kind of wanted to focus on the danger on the set there so somebody got paralyzed and somebody else got third degree burns like it's pretty hard to fuck up harder although we will get to some of that later uh i'm sure everybody knows where we're going on that but that just seems like a callous disrespect for the people on the set you know like you don't want to put people in a position where they're going to get injured so i really don't blame her for not continuing on with the show well and it's also sounds like a symptom of the fact that you know all these crews were planning on striking due to low pay and uh poor working conditions and uh it's that's another side effect of low pay and poor working conditions is that you don't give a fuck about your job as much and you don't put as much effort into the job as you should because you're not being compensated for the work you should be doing yeah or the work that you are doing it can express itself in these ways i don't know how these people got hurt yeah i don't know either i kind of did a and quick look and it seemed like it wasn't I heavily reported i really hesitate to speculate on any of this stuff with ruby Bat- rose yeah just because we don't know any of the details and boy one of my biggest pet peeves right now is people on social media playing keyboard detective and speculating endlessly it's like they think that the real world is like a movie that's going to come out soon and they have to guess the plot of the movie before it comes out. Like it's always kind of been a thing, obviously it's been around for a long time, but it got particularly bad with the whole Gabby Petito disappearance, Brian Laundry. I literally saw people posting things like it's such a shame that there's zero evidence that he did anything because he obviously killed her. And like the to have the cognitive dissonance to in your own statement say there's no evidence and it's obvious like to not recognize that. And then when he went missing and people are like, blah, 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 this and that. Even Stephen King, Stephen King this morning was like, I think Brian Landry killed himself. But unless there's a note on his body, we'll never know. Yeah. The truth. And I'm like, well, then why are you throwing this out there, Stephen King? People listen to you. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> and the answer is because people listen to him <laughs> to your question. <laughs> right. But like on the set of the movie Rust, uh, Alec Baldwin was handed a gun with a live round in it and told it was a cold gun. And he pulled the trigger and uh, shot his director of, ph- of photography. Yeah, I think the cinematographer uh, got killed and then the director 
got wounded in the process because it was one of my understanding is it's one of those things where he was supposed to like aim right at the camera yep which is the most dangerous place to be on a set when there are guns involved yeah because most of the time the camera is where the gun is pointed at i find it insane that they use live ammunition in movies and tv just period yeah oh i was shocked that there was a live round even on the set at all i'm not shocked because i've heard of these things happening um and certain stuff like michael mann for example when he was filming the miami vice movie only use live ammunition because he liked the sound that it made to which i'm like you're doing fully work dude like go to gun range and record that and then put it over your fake gun so that nobody gets hurt you know when this first broke all we knew is that this woman had been shot and killed and that alec baldwin was holding the gun it did not take long for the twitter verse to start putting out things, calling for him to face murder charges, politicizing the event, saying because he's a leftist, he will just get a slap on the wrist. And like, that's why, not because he wasn't ultimately liable or, you know, he's not a murderer. What he did was not murder. It was a very awful preventable accident that he even does bear a modicum of responsibility for not checking the chamber. It's like but literally every, every check be, mark. But down he the also thing. should like be able to trust the process because if the process is followed, this should never happen. Right. Like the process exists and exists for a reason. Is it the process that does currently exist in place should if followed, make this happen 0% of the time. Well, and it looks like, from what I was reading, there was a, a bunch pattern. of, well, a bunch of people on the set were upset with how unsafe things were, were going on the set. And so you had six people walk off because they started bringing in non-unit, well, unionized crew thing. members. As, so as now you're like, talking about a break in the chain of protocol because you're bringing in people that don't know the protocol because they're not unionized. They're coming in cold doing this, right? Right. This this wasn't filmed in Hollywood. This was filmed in Texas. I don't think they ever actually had a union armorer on set at any point. I think they were going with non-union people. That may have been one of the reasons why they were filming in Texas, aside from well, the they, location. What, what I read was six days before the event happened, they told a bunch of people, like, basically, they they yanked their motel rooms and told them that they would have to start driving to the location and to suck it up. And they were talking about walking off and that certain things weren't safe on set. So they just straight up replaced a bunch of them with people that were not unionized. So they were unionized and then they were not unionized. It seems like from what I'm reading that they were just trying to cut costs wherever they could. Which is like part of the reason why Again, the strike, you know, and any reasonable actor and director and filmmaker would that was out there supported the strike. I don't know who wasn't like, who are the people that were not supporting the strike? Like, who are the? Why are there even people involved in the movie making process that don't want everyone in the movie making industry to be fairly compensated for their participation? You know? Yeah. Like, why are they because they have money? Yeah. 
That's what it comes down to. It's the same, like, dude, it's the same as like people. everywhere else in the <laughs> world. Like, okay, so when you talk about just any job, like forget Hollywood, just any job in general, who's the one who's always against the strikers? Just inherently, it tends to be management, right? Like the people who profit off of it or are supposed to bring it in at a certain cost. They're the ones that are always going against strikers. And then who else? It's always people with political ideology where they've decided for whatever reason, unions are bad. And so it's always those people as well so it's it's a combination of ideology and saving money and these two things are what leads to dangerous conditions right like there's a reason why unions exist they're they're to save workers more than anything it's about increasing maximizing profits it's like capitalism yeah and maximizing profits usually means fucking people over. making the most <laughs> out of what you've got while at the same time cutting costs wherever you possibly can it the most efficient cost cutting methods tend to be the least ethical <laughs> yep <laughs> when it comes to maximizing profits that also has the side effect of having creating a bigger picture than just a movie being made it's not just a movie being made now it's also like a toy line being launched and uh, a tie-in promotion with McDonald's being launched and an advertising campaign i think the people that have the money at the top are giving equal consideration we had all of that speculation but reports of what actually like have been going on have painted a fairly clear picture of it and then like if all these assholes had just been fucking patient and not cared so much about getting attention and treating this real life incident like it's an episode of a true crime podcast it's very sad to see this being a way that people spend their days and make money of like just capitalizing on this tragedy and like i don't know the way that they're deriving entertainment out of it's kind of sick kind of perverse Fuck it. I want to wade into politics for a second because it's so intertwined with the Alec Baldwin thing. But I see connections to something else that happened this week, which was Colin Powell dying. And I just wanted to talk about this corrosive nature that people want to sow in politics into everything that they're talking about, which I understand it. It can be a narrative thread for sure for a lot of things. But in particular, the Alec Baldwin thing, I think, is very unfair because let's be honest, a lot of people, more than anything, they did not like Alec Baldwin's portrayal of Trump. I know he had an MSNBC show for a while, but it's more that like they didn't like his portrayal of Trump. And so I looked at one pundit who just basically said, like, it serves him right that this happened to him because of the way that he was treating the MAGA people. What you are saying is essentially the same thing as what he did. Like it's saying that because of your political views, you have this horrible thing coming. It's not right to like look at this stuff this way. You can like conjecture on it all you want, but there's something really, really wrong with that. So I guess what I was thinking with the Colin Powell thing, even though this is not pop culture related, I was reading a lot of people who were saying like Colin Powell's going to hell, like he was this awful person and on and on and on. And what was really interesting about that to me is this lack of context for anything with Colin Powell. I feel like it was a lot of younger people who took to Twitter who just knew he was Secretary of State, who shepherded in that war and was the one that presented the thing to the United Nations. And like, that's what got us into war, right? But I feel like that's also missing the context of, and once again, 
not a right-leaning person, but I just want to say this to balance the ledger a little bit. Colin Powell was like a moderate. He was in the middle and it was in the press constantly that he did not think that there was a case to go into Iraq and that he did not support the claims and that he was playing the good soldier and lining up and doing the things the Bush administration wanted him to do because that's what he was expected to do. But he didn't want to do that. And he undermined the administration in a lot of different ways. And I feel like all of that context is thrown out the window because people are looking at this big overall thing and they're not understanding the sum total of what's going on. And I feel like it's like that with the Alec Baldwin thing in a way is like people know this one thing about him. And so they just want to like make this thing that's intertwined. It's the exact same thing. And it's not. There's nuance to everything. And it's fine to feel these political feelings and want to talk about them. But fucking think about what you're saying before you say it. Think about the circumstances that are around it. Think about how it involves actual human lives and it's actual people you're talking about and how you're sullying people's names when you do it sometimes who may not deserve to be sullied. Like, just take a minute to really think about it. And also, like, this is assuming you're not just posting to be a troll in the first place. Yeah. So don't be a troll. But if you're not planning on being a troll, man, think about it. Here's another thing. If you fucking say something dumb and you get called out for it, you're not going to make things worse by like replying and saying, oh, shit, I fucked up. I'm sorry. Because like whenever somebody says something ignorant, I always look for that. I always and that's why I wind up seeing them get dragged a million times is because, you know, only about like when somebody says something and there's like a thousand replies, let's say. We'll just use that as a sample size. Thousand replies. Only about one in like four are really just rude for and have not constructive. A lot of people are replying with like a polite correction. And it's super rare, but sometimes you will see a person go, they acknowledge their fuck up. And there's something kind of cathartic about that because it's all this, we're all living vicariously in these other people's conversations and interactions and stuff. And seeing that is just so rare. It's kind of interesting. Like, we should do that more often. We should, like, acknowledge our fuck-ups. You know what people really hate? The cover-up. It's always the cover-up is worse than the actual thing. When you are sitting there backpedaling and saying, no, I'm right because of this, and you won't admit to a core mistake, that's what people fucking hate. That's what really gets people on you. Yes, people will jump down your throat when you say the wrong thing, but if you apologize, it tends to diffuse it Or, like, trying to be, like, I was especially if you, like, if you are going after something, taking something down, and then you're wrong. And then you are like backpedaling and getting defensive and being like, well, I'm the victim. Well, you were the aggressor originally. This happens to TERFs a lot, where they act like the victim because people call them out for excluding trans women or whatever. And it's just like, just fucking acknowledge it. Because sometimes it does come from a, a place of ignorance. And also when it comes to correcting people on these things, we also need to be like, take it down a notch when we're correcting people because like it does take time like a big one was uh ezra miller is they them and uh i didn't know that until i read a comment on a youtube video where a person uh the mr sunday guy had said he and they were like all caps yelling i had no idea it was like this is the first that i've ever seen about this and it's not like i'm you know, sometimes we just miss things. We all have blind spots in culture. There's like, maybe there's an actor we don't follow, so we don't hear news about them, you know? And it's also, it's important 
that we gender Elliot Page correctly, right? Because he's gone through a lot. But also, Elliot Page was Ellen Page for a long time. And in movies that were like very iconic and formative for certain people, and it's going to take those people longer to change the programming in their brain. We need to allow them their slip-ups. We need to allow people their innocent mistakes. If we're going to jump down everybody's throat at the same volume for different levels of transgressions, then people are going to feel victimized by the slightest. Let me be very real on this. I know quite a few transgendered people. In real life. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Because they exist. In in real life. They exist in real life. (laughs) And when you slip up and say the wrong pronoun and then you go, oh, sorry or whatever, they kind of don't care. It's like like they understand that there's not bad intent behind it. it. They can tell the bad intent. And and good because intent. they're real people. Yes, and <laughs> the people who go way over the top with this stuff tends to be people who truly do not have skin in the game. They don't but know they just, anybody like they that. just want to fight these battles, and so they they go out over the top, which just makes it worse. Because anytime that you start screaming at somebody, they dig in their heels. It's just not productive, you know. It's and I think productive. a lot of these people that do the screaming correction they have yeah they are you saying that they don't have skin in the game i'm saying that most of these people truly do not have skin in the game in that they're fighting a political fight but it doesn't affect them personally they're just like taking this torch and running with it that's what i've noticed is like i've noticed transgendered people tend to not get super upset with this stuff to that degree like they get it when it's a bad intentional thing and they fight about like it. the people that but, are doing it online are pandering to to trans and allies could be like some some instances i'm not saying or they're across just the board Im- i'm just saying like they're probably fighting a fight and they're not they're not necessarily affected by it in their personal life they just like they found these lines that they're supposed to like line up on their absolute boundaries and you can't cross this way or that way even if it's accidental you know what i mean it's like it's equivalent to like the cold war and accidentally stepping and fucking like a, a cold war state and then like boom you're dead or is it like or is it like over like performatively overreacting that's what i'm in saying they're being performative favor from this group that they they want desperately to be accepted by i don't know why they're doing it but yeah it is performative that's and what i'm saying that i could see des- like just having this desperation to be part of this group and trying to put on this really strong projection in order to accomplish that. I could see a person doing that that is either a part of the community but doesn't know how to connect to their own community because they've been isolated by the internet. Or a person that's an ally that doesn't fit in with their own group and desperately wants to sort of find some identity in attaching themselves to this other group, which is something that especially (laughs) cis white people do. They like to attach themselves to minorities to like feel like they have some kind of identity. Yeah. Or something. I don't know what they're getting out of it, but it's like liberal racism is what I think of when I think of that. It's like, yeah. you know. <laughs> Which, by the way, one of the reasons why I love Get Out so much is because it really tackles that. Like, it talks yeah, yeah, about like, all of these things that, that I've specifically. I've voted for Obama three times. Or... That thing. Yeah, it's that thing. It's Thank that... you, Bradley Whitford, for so perfectly 
capturing yeah. that guy. It plays out so perfect because they have that thing where she's in the car with her boyfriend before they go to see him. And she's like, he's going to tell you he would vote for Obama at their time. Because like it is this thing that it's like, oh, black person, I need to let them know I'm an ally. Let me go overboard in proving to you how much I care about your plight. Yes. And what they really care about is being seen caring so much about this thing. Yes. It's, they don't actually care. And I do want to say for somebody who's it's seen narcissism. this, for somebody who's seen this, yes, there is more going on, but we are talking about the subtext of the scene. We are not talking about the plot of the movie. Yeah. No plot. The subtext is talking here. to a socially relevant thing. I just want to say that because I know there's somebody screaming at it like, well, he's just trying to get his mind into somebody else. But no, dude, stop. This is what you're imagining <laughs> our listening audience. Li- I sounds and i think that there's always a couple yeah (laughs) and if you're one of those people it's okay that's why i talk to you new uh (laughs) new segment let's do impressions of who we what we imagine our listening audience sounds like (laughs) i do think that there's a percentage of it who is just like so will at some point talk about a mask and they'll be like you can't wear a mask you can't hear it in a microphone if you're wearing a mask you think that (laughs) people with that dialect yes are listening to our show and then getting mad so we've got about eight thousand downloads a week i'm guessing there's about 50 50 listeners out of that eight thousand who are like yeah that that's my that's my estimation i have no stats to back it up so i really want to what do do you think our listenership is like so i really want to do an impression of our friend sam but I am notorious for not being able to do flattering impressions. <laughs> so I'm not going to try, Sam, because I like you and I don't want to inadvertently make you sound like an asshole. <laughs> but pretty well spoken. He certainly don't be like getting mad about masks. If anything, he I would be like, Sam uh, is one of those people, if anything, he be would player. be like, uh, He'd be like, that's not what Lord of the Rings means. Uh, that's not what that's about. That would be and more I, of a Sam argument, and then I think, yeah. That would be because I was being like, I bet Sam's listening to this. I'm going to say something that's intentionally <laughs> wrong about the Lord of the Rings. <sighs> that's what podcasts are all about is like trolling one individual person. <laughs> one individual person we know that listens. <laughs> that we know listens because he's our friend. Okay, well, let's talk about Dunes. Okay, so I went to go see this because I have a couple of friends who all are the guys who are like, it's on HBO Max. Why would I go to the theater for it? And all three of them went, man, I wish I had watched that on the big screen. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) duly noted because I wasn't sure. Nope. How much Disagree. I wanted to watch this. <laughs> and so I did go to the theater and dude, it is. I'm sure it was beautiful. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful. So from that regard. Sand, sand is so beautiful when there's like, when you can see 10 billion grains of sand on a screen instead of only like a hundred thousand million. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The scale of things are so big sometimes that like when I see it on the screen, I got to imagine. Like it's when just they a go into the, the worms. It's like when they go into the tunnel, right? And then Willy Wonka's like, it's getting crazy. And everything starts spark changing colors and sparkling. I'm just trying to picture like Gene Wilder being no, like, Timothy Chalamet. crazy. Timothy Chalamet is Willy Wonka. <laughs> right. We're doing Dune. Timothy I, Chalamet. Yeah. Timothy, he looked at Gene Wilder and he said, hey, hey, look at me. <laughs> look at me. I'm the Wonka now. I'm the Wonka now. <laughs> 
I managed to do that without a racist accent. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> well, before we were talking about the whole racist it's still fresh aspect in my mind. of it. Yeah. It's still no, in my mind. No, I thought about that too with the Timothy Chalamet thing. And I absolutely withheld from saying it with Brandon because I knew at some point you would bring that someday, up. Someday. <laughs> okay. Someday in the future. Someday in the future. This is my prediction. And it's also, ironically, my assessment of the movie. Someday in the future, there will be a episode of Jeopardy and the the clue will be what you get when you make a Marvel movie without <laughs> any joy. <laughs> and then the person will go Bidini! and they'll say, call on him and he'll say, what is Dune? I'm sorry. That was my takeaway. Okay. You should you should get in the Denis Villeneuve thing because I know this has been bothering you for a while, but I don't think you've said it he on the podcast. Has, okay. So he's talked shit about Marvel movies once. The internet will claim that he's talked shit about Marvel movies twice, but the internet is an idiot and it claims that his tweet about not using post-credit sequences is a subtweet against Marvel. And fuck you for that's more pointless, stupid speculation like I was talking about earlier. Stop doing that shit but he has said that he thinks that the marvel movies are follow a formula and that they don't give their creators the people that are making them enough creative freedom to like make something truly cinematic that's like that rises to the level of like cinema and uh First of all, I just don't even think that that's objectively true. Like, I completely disagree with his assessment of the Marvel movies. I think that some of them are formulaic because the directors that they hired didn't really have all that much creative vision beyond what Kevin Feige wanted them to do. But I think that Tell Me James Gunn didn't have full creative control over his movie because oh, yeah, he absolutely 100%. did. Yeah. And like I think take IYT as well. Yeah, like you can just and the Russo brothers, they brought a flavor to the Marvel movie. Yeah. Fuck that. But then I watch Dune and I'm like, this is a Thor movie, but it's not fun. It's like <laughs> so serious. It's so up its own ass with like, like, look at how, what a real, this is, look at what a real movie we're all making right now, you guys. Like we're in a real movie. Okay. I do want to say <laughs> before I get into this, net positive for me, I did like Dune. I just want to get that out there, but I am going to like jump down this rabbit hole criticizing it because there are two things that I noticed particularly in this, which is one Game of Thrones definitely ripped off Dune like a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, like a the, lot. the Game of Thrones books ripped off the Dune books. Sure. I, I've never read the book. It goes so I back can't, that yeah, far. I'm sure you're right. But I mean, like, it's very clearly crib from it. But my overall bigger thought is like, man, Warner's just has this lane and they seem to want to do it, which is like yeah. it's it's the whole DCEU thing, like the joyless superhero movies. Yep. Like occasionally we get one that's filled with joy and it's fun, but most of them have to have this like they're so sinister, drab, brooding, monochrome. Yeah. Yeah, just like the the lonely hero against all odds or whatever, who's like distant and like you can't really understand him. He's an enigma wrapped in a riddle, like trapped in a box or whatever the fuck. Like this is what they love doing. And you see it with all their superhero things. But this is what Dune is. Like, I don't know if this is what the book is, but this is what they're doing with the book. And I'm going to be honest. Like, half, I'm assuming first t- half of the book as well. This is only the first half. Of right, the book. right. Because they filmed the six hour thing and they, they cut it into two movies. But um, I also want to say that, like, 
I don't know exactly what happens with the story of Dune, but I can say that the way that they're positioning it, and you told me that the race doesn't really go into it in the books, but the way they position it in the movie by having a white actor, Timothy Chalamet, with like all of these like people of color in the desert, they are positioning this as another white savior movie, well, which I'm just like, come hey, on, dude. You can even you can even make the criticism less race specific and just call it like the uh, the colonial savior. Uh, it's, it's it's all a colonial it's about, trope. It's all a matter. Yeah, it, but at the very end of the like day. Like the white savior it, thing comes from the whole colonial, colonial this, thing. And this is the thing is that like, so Dune has been adapted at least successfully twice. Right. Once as a movie by uh, David, David Lynch, Lynch and once as a miniseries on the sci-fi channel back when they like did cool stuff. Uh, they still do cool stuff. But they got into the reality show game. Why did all these ch- channels? Okay, Cheap. that's – it's, huge. It's, it's That's a, a whole other rabbit hole. We're not going of, down that It's one. because of cost, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah. It's also the story of Dune has been uh, used, cribbed from, and it also cribs from so many – it's just nothing but tropes at this point. There's kind of no point because it's been done. It's because it's, it's it IP. It's Ferngully. because it's, it's 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 intellectual property. So Dances they just with keep wolves. Re, retreading it out. Like, and it's These not just all, okay. But this is uh, this is where Hollywood's. What at. the fuck? Uh, the fucking one that's gonna have like five sequels someday. Star Ava- Wars, Avatar. <laughs> yeah. Well, but also Star Wars, right? And like, Avatar, also a white savior movie. But yeah. Go on. So no, and no, and exactly, and or like, uh, I mean, it could be. It's like, and yeah, indigenous people, and then an out and a savior yeah, let comes me, in. Let me show you a different way. Yeah. And I'm the best at it whatever you're doing. It white is the shorthand. The white savior for sure is a shorthand, but they don't specifically have to be white. They just have to be a concrete, like a coming in and taking over. And then it's what Hollywood loves yeah. to do the most is like specifically put the white person in the frame. Uh, what? Uh, oh, he's got the mask, and Johnny Depp played the fucking Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. It's the Lone Ranger. <laughs> it's. It's the other one. The other Disney one that failed. Uh, there he goes to Mars. John Carter. <laughs> John Carter. It's John Carter, dude. It's been fucking done. To be fair, <laughs> this was so much better than the John Carter movie. Like, so much better. Like, the John Carter movie was nothing but a disaster. I thought Dune but it was did still quite slightly, a few things But it's, it's well. still slightly better than what we... But I know what you're saying. It's the overall plot is just, like, it's, tried and true and boring. And that's why point. it's boring. That's that's why it's boring. It's not boring because the... It, we've, it's boring because we've seen it a million times in a million different ways. Yeah. And just, like, we've seen every possible way that it could play out. We've seen every possible way that it could start. We've seen every possible, like, variation on the character. It's kind of like... We've even seen this before. It's like... like we've specifically seen Dune before in many yeah, forms. Yeah. It's, it's like how we won't stop making detective shows, but we oh, always put a different twist on it. Like, Monk, he's got anxiety issues. and Or then it's like, Psych, they're not really things, and et cetera, et cetera. There's like, House, he's a medical doctor, but it's like a detective show. There's just like a billion variations on it. I think and Columbo was the first one. They're to not actually. Do that. They're not actually bad. They're just. It's popcorn. It's empty calories. It's, yes. If you're gonna try to make something like this. You can't approach it being like, we're going to make a serious movie. You have to approach it like, we're going to 
going to make something be, we're going to have fun with. You have to have fun with stuff like that. If you don't what, have fun with this, what Warner's then it's going to fail. Well, then it's not this what was doomed but I'm to just, be terrible. I'm just saying, like, that's not what Warner's is interested in. Yeah. Warner's is interested in the super serious thing. Well, they can't get it right either way because th- when it's not super serious, it winds up being Wonder Woman 1984 <laughs> and you wind up raping a man. <laughs> <laughs> so funny because my head went to Robert Patterson Batman thing. I was just watching that I trailer looking, again because it was I'm right actually, in front of Dune. But it looks like the Christopher Nolan thing. It's not different in my head. The more I watch it, the more I see. It's like him screaming like, where is he? But he's yelling <laughs> something else. I don't remember. And then they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm vengeance. It's like, you're just saying, you're just saying I'm Batman, but they're just retreading the same shit they've already done. It's just the trailer. It's It's the trailer. The trailer is designed to, it's going to try to draw on all the Christopher Nolanites. That's what the trailer is designed to do. (laughs) Don't worry, even though he's not with Warners anymore, we're still doing this. The Let's be fair. The Christopher Nolan Batman fans are the most difficult Batman fans to please because they revere the Christopher Nolan Batman movies on a level that is way too high. Yeah, You know what's interesting is I think that those are the best Batman movies, but I know what you're saying. There's that particular fan base, and they're the reason why DC just keeps doing this and joyless now thing. Now, keep in mind that uh, I don't consider people that like the Todd Phillips Joker movie to be Batman fans because that's not why they like the Joker. <laughs> They don't like the Joker because it's related to Batman. They like the Joker for other reasons. <laughs> he speaks to me. <laughs> we live in a society. <laughs> we live in a society and, and everybody's sick and you know, twisted. I bet you that with a lot of the opinions that I've thrown out today, that in this very episode, I've probably been super hypocritical and other things that I've said. So let's just let it stand on the record that I'm a fucking hypocrite. And an idiot. So, uh, yeah. I think there was 50 fans that were yelling at that were just like, you're a fucking idiot and a hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. 50 of the 8,000. There you go, you guys. That's for you guys. That Let means it, the that, record show. You guys are right. That means that there's 7,950 fans <laughs> that I'm lockstep in place with. And the other 50, like, there's hope for you. You're listening to us. Somehow you got this we'll far into the podcast. We'll turn you around. I've got the, this is where uh, you Or listening. we won't turn you around and you're still enjoying it. Either way, like, good on you. If you can listen to somebody who is, like, diametrically opposed to your political views, but still get something out of it, I actually think that's a worthwhile endeavor that people don't participate in enough. Listening to our show helps uh, the targeting system for the Jewish space lasers that (laughs) turn you gay. (laughs) Well, it is true. We are basically the firing pin in that system. So (laughs) take it easy. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Have a laugh with Lauren and Sarah as they dip in and out of topics every other week on their shiny new podcast, Dippers. Weekly pop culture news you can use, coupled with reviews, deep dives you can't refuse, and occasional interviews on Not Safe for Network. Every week, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies, tracing their influences and effects on cinema. They also occasionally suffer through a really wretched stinker in the movie podcast, A Cosmic Void. Eric and Connor will guide you through the world of wrestlers on the big screen in the show you can understand just by its title, Movies with Wrestlers.